Let's pray, brothers, and uh, I believe we have something to hear from the Lord. Amen. Father God, we bless you right now. We praise you for what you're doing in our hearts. God, we thank you for the discussions that we have had and, Lord, how you've orchestrated the groups that we're in. But we may not have even known that we were going to be in groups with these brothers. But, Lord, you already knew. Lord, you're connecting us. Lord, and some of us as men are realizing that there's an opportunity to um, engage another brother, to trust another brother. God, to leave behind um, some past ways and some past hurts that preceded us being in the church. And we're now holding on to them and it's hindering us in relationships with other men in the church because of things that have happened in our past. And so God, I ask that you would create a community of brothers, Lord, that all recognize that we're in process to maturity. That no one is saying that they've already attained it or we're uh, better than you. But God, we're simply working with you and serving alongside you. God, Lord, we pray that you would develop relationships and that your spirit would move in such a way, God, that we would know that you've been among us. Once again, Lord, we tell you that we need you because without you, this means nothing. And so even right now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak through the word of God in such a way that lives are changed forever. God, the amazing thing is that you give us a word that is eternal and you allow us to speak from it and you make changes in our lives. You allow us to hear a word from your book that you gave us, the love letter that you preserved for us, the Bible. And God, our lives are changed. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so, Lord, we ask that you would speak through the word of God tonight and right now that you'd be glorified. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and thank God. I want to deal with this session, men serving God in community. Men serving God in community. Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 6 verse 7 and then to Luke chapter 10 verse 1 and 2. Mark chapter 6 verse 7 and to Luke chapter 10 verse 1 and 2. In our previous session on the danger of an isolated man, one of the things that we mentioned from Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 is that two are better than one for they have a good return for their labor. We're now going to stair step that comment made by Solomon into the practice of that two are better than one for they have a good return on their labor. How Jesus Christ takes the wisdom of Solomon and actually executes it. That it's not just some information that was being shared but it's actually something that a man should apply in his life in the way he conducts kingdom business. And so we want to talk about men serving together in kingdom community. In Mark chapter 6 verse 7, Jesus says this, And he summoned the twelve, and he sent them out in pairs, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He summoned the twelve, and he sent them out in pairs. Now, if you're going to underline anything in your Bible or look at your device, underline the word pairs. He sent them out, in essence, two by two. Jesus Christ takes the 12 apostles and sends them out in groups of six, two by two. He doesn't send Peter out by himself. He doesn't send out John by himself. He doesn't send James out. He doesn't send Bartholomew out by themselves. He sends them out two by two. Jesus Christ is building on the wisdom of Solomon the where he says two are better than one, for they have a good return on their labor. Now walk with me from this concept in Mark 6 verse 7. Keep your finger there.
there and go to Luke chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. In Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, he says, Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs, there it is one more time, ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, and the laborers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Now, if you don't mind, go over to Luke chapter 10 verse 17. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing will injure you. Check this out. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Real quick. In Mark chapter 6 verse 7, Jesus Christ calls the 12 apostles. We know who they are by name. And we know that he sends them out on mission to go do the work of the Lord. But then in Luke chapter 10, he sends out the 70. And when he sends out the 70, he doesn't name the 70. But the 70 come out and they go do the work, sent out by God in pairs, group of, group of 35, sent out in pairs to go do work. Well, they go do work with the same authority that Jesus Christ gave the apostles. And when they go do the work, they come back and say, Hey, man, even the demons were subject to us in your name. And they start bragging about what they've done in ministry. And Jesus Christ says, Hey, man, that's all good. He said, But here's the real deal. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, here's the thing that I like about what Jesus just said. We don't know who the 70 are. But we do know that the 70 had power. We do know that the 70 had authority, just like the apostles did. We do know that the 70 were sent out on mission, just like the apostles were. But he says, here's the deal. Your names are recorded in heaven. And sometimes when we're doing ministry as men, there are names in ministry that everybody knows. People know the names Matt Chandler. People know uh, the names Tim Keller. People know the names Chuck Swindoll. People know the names Tony Evans. The big names. The apostolic names per se. They know the names of the apostles, Mark 6 verse 7. They know their names. But then what about those other 70 dudes that get sent out? That nobody knows us. You know, our names aren't, we don't have on a radio program. We don't have a podcast that anybody's listening to. What about us? Well, he sends us out with the same power, the same authority to go do the work of the Lord. And he also sends them out the exact same way. He sends out the 70 in pairs. And what Jesus Christ is beginning to show us just through this principle is that when you send men out together to go do the work of the Lord sent by Jesus Christ, I will do amazing things through men that work together in pairs. I send out men two by two. I send out men to serve together. When I come and speak at these retreats, I never travel to a retreat by myself. The last couple of retreats that I've done, uh, Terrence Slaughter, our men's leader, comes down with me and he attends and he participates with me. And then we go and look at all that we saw, all that God showed us through these type of retreats that we're engaged in. And then we go back and we share with the men at our church. Never travel by myself to do any of these retreats. Never travel. Why? Because I need God to have another set of eyes 
and another set of heart involved in what it is that God is calling us to do. That we might learn something and be able to go back and invest in our men based on the fact that we got the privilege to serve here. God has always caused men to work together two by two. Now when you think about the apostles, there's the big three. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. They're the big three. And Peter, you know, is the guy who he talks more than everybody else. John's so cool, he doesn't even mention his own name. You know, he's the guy who Jesus loved. You know, now, now, that's a big one, you know. I'm the guy that Jesus loved, man. So he doesn't mention his name, but I'm, I'm the guy who Jesus loves. Now, Peter's always talking. Peter's always got something to say. And then... They have a little deal going on between them. You know, Peter denies the Lord Jesus Christ three times. And then, you know, they come back and, and he says, what about this guy? You know, after Jesus tells him, you know, uh, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. What about this guy? He said, Man, don't, don't worry about that. And God begins to pair Peter and John together. He begins to put Peter and John together to do ministry together. It's interesting that Peter and John are the ones that run to the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ at the day that Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead. Those two run to the tomb together, Peter and John. And, and the Bible says that John, being younger, got there first. Older guy, Peter, kind of, you know, barely getting there, running about a 5, 8, 40. John's on about a 4, 3 speed, and John gets there first. But he respectfully waits, and Peter goes in first. Peter and John begin to work together. An older guy and a younger guy, they begin to work together. They begin to do, do ministry together. But watch this. Here's what I want to show you. God designed men to serve the Lord's work in a community of relational connection. God put Peter and John together. Peter being one who talks a lot. Peter being one who's very, you know, uh, communicative. Peter's the one that's going to ask the question. And he sends old calm John along his side. He sends a guy with a calming factor. He sends a guy with a relational factor. He sends, he sends that in it. He sends a guy with a caring factor. John, he, when Jesus is dying on the cross, young man, behold your mother. You, you know, young woman, behold your son. John's a caring guy. Peter's a guy, I'm going to get the job done. So he sends these guys of different personalities together to work together. And oftentimes when God is pairing you with another brother, he's pairing you with another brother to where you all have different skill sets spiritually, different giftings. And he's putting you together so that he can get the best return on the labor that's needing to be done. And so notice what he does in Mark 6 verse 7. He says, and he summoned the twelve and he began to send them out in pairs and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. And they go out and they do a great deal of ministry. When they come back in Mark chapter 6 after having done all these miracles, they come back and they begin to share with Jesus about the wonderful power that God was using them to do based on the fact that Jesus sent them out. And the 12 come back and Jesus says, well come along, let's get to a quiet place and let's go to pray. Because after you serve and the power goes out, you got to go back and get on your knees and pray. Now here's the interesting thing, that Jesus says, let's go to a quiet place and pray, a secluded place. Just like Jesus had done in Mark chapter 1 where he went to a secluded place to pray. But when he says, let's get to a secluded place and pray, the Bible said, and they didn't even have time to eat. And then it says something interesting in Mark chapter 6. And the people recognized them and Jesus. Because the work of the apostles, they said, these guys got miracle, miraculous power working as well. And they said, they recognized them and Jesus. And they ran over to the other side. When they run over to the other side, in Mark chapter 6, here's what happens. That Jesus says, these people are like sheep without a shepherd. They're distressed, they're dispirited, they're wounded, and they're like sheep without a shepherd. And then Jesus begins to teach them many things. And here's what the disciples say. Lord, send these guys away that they can go get something. He said, no, no, no. You give them something to eat. 
Why? Because ministry is going to always cost you something. Whenever you do things in the lives of people, crowds join. When you men go back and do uniquely in the Brazosport area what God has called you to do, there are going to be more needs that are going to come. And now watch this. The disciples, they don't see the privilege of more people coming. They see the problem. Go send them away. Send them away. There won't be enough for them to eat. Go send them away. She said, no, no, you give them something to eat. Here's what the disciples see. They see a problem. They don't see the privilege. They see the problem that there's so many people here, they don't have anything to eat. And so, send them away. And Jesus says, no, let's pray. Matter of fact, let's do this. Sit them down on the green grass. The Bible says in Mark 6 that they were in a desolate place. A desolate place means it's unfertile. That nothing grows there. It's not a good place to plant a garden. And, that, and that's what the disciples see. The disciples see desolation. They see no place of provision. That's what they see. And Jesus says, sit them down on the green grass. Now when Jesus says sit them down on the green grass, here's something very interesting about that. He says sit them down on the green grass and put them in, in groups of 50. When he says that, Psalm 23 comes to mind. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now, Jesus had just talked about that they needed a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he begins to provide for them. But the first thing he starts thinking about is, do you remember praising God? Do you remember what the songs say about God? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, there are a host of 5,000 men that need to be provided for. And do you and I think that we have enough to give them? But if you don't remember the God that you're praising, you won't know, realize that you have enough to feed him. Then watch this. He says, and he lifted it up. The two fish and the loaves of bread. He lifts it up to, the, uh, to, to God and he prays. Now remember this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. If I fed the children of Israel for 40 years manna out of heaven, you don't think I can take care of this one little need right here in this one day when I've already told you? See, when you and I forget to praise God and pray to God, we will see problems when it comes down to people and especially meeting the needs of other men. Because when you are 12 guys who have had this miraculous thing happen for you down here and now you go back to a host of guys in the Brazosport area and those guys come with needs, if you and I don't fill up even after this on prayer and praise then we're going to see all the needs come we got a moment to get away but when you go back there are going to be some brothers that didn't get a chance to go away and those brothers are going to have problems and you're going to have the power by God to meet those problems and to meet those needs but you got to remember how to praise God you got to remember how to pray to God and that's when God began to feed the 5,000 and he began to just put out the loaves and the bread God did that but he does miraculous things through people that he sends out you and I have to realize that God has sent us. That God has scattered us out in places to do the work of the Lord. And so he comes back to this 70. He sends out the 70. Gives them the same power. And they come back and they do great work. But God always sent out men connected to another man. Who is the brother that you believe that you're connected with to do ministry with? Who is, you need to answer that question. Who is the brother? If I'm going to do community-based ministry for the work of the Lord and I'm going to be a man in community and not a man in isolation, who has God called me to relate with, to effectively do ministry with? Who am I praying with so that as I recognize this guy on my job, this guy in my neighborhood, this guy uh, who I know his family's messed up. We're praying together and we're going to go work some things out. In that. We're going to go to lunch with that guy together and sit down and talk to him about his marriage. Who are you praying 
praying with? Who are you effectively going to take down the power of darkness with? Who's your teammate that you take down the power of darkness with? My brother and I were in Dallas when my brother lived in Dallas. And uh, we went to this restaurant called Humperdinks and, uh, in Dallas. And that night that we went to the restaurant called Humperdinks, I'm from Austin, Texas originally. So if you're from Austin, you root for the Dallas Cowboys and the San Antonio Spurs. Because you don't have your own team. UT, UT, we're talking about pro ball. So you root for the Cowboys if you're from Austin. And so since back in the day with Roger Staubach and Emmett, I, I mean Roger Staubach and Tony Dorsett, the Cowboys are my boys. Now we got Emmett and we got Troy and we got Michael Irvin. And my brother and I, we walk into the restaurant and sitting in this restaurant, as we go in are Emmett Smith and uh, uh, Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin. So we strike up a conversation, real nice guys, talk to them, dialogue with them. But they were out there that night and they were out there together and I had met Emmett before one day uh, uh, back in Austin. And Emmett is a real quiet Christian guy. Emmett is a real quiet Christian guy. Uh, very humble if you ever meet him. Very humble guy. Mike is brash. Talks a lot, doing his thing. And some of y'all may remember that they had Mike involved in some, some issues. Some of y'all may remember. Or, or, or y'all were reading for, rooting for the Oilers and y'all don't remember. Uh, <laughs> but Mike got involved in some issues. And here's the thing, is I always wondered when it came down to Michael Irvin being in the courthouse, they said one player came to visit him. Because Mike was involved in all that trouble. You know who came to visit him? Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman was the only Dallas Cowboy that came, that came and walked by and sat by Michael Irvin in the courthouse in all of his mess. But watch this. On that football team, we won Super Bowls together. But I didn't think enough of you when your life was wild and out of control to reel you in, brother. Later on down the road, Michael Irvin gets saved. But some of the things that Michael went through, he didn't have to go through, had a quiet brother like Emmett pulled in a brash brother. And said, man, the reason why I live like this is because the Lord saved me. But, but let's not be friends and be of no value and allow darkness to run in, in, in somebody else's life. So let's walk this thing real quick. I want to show you some things. Go with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 3. Acts 3. God sends out men two by two. In Acts chapter 3, I want to talk about this whole thing of community, men doing ministry in community, and men doing ministry in the church together. The church has now been started in Acts chapter 2. The church has been inaugurated. And so what happens is, is that God has put these apostles together, and the Bible says this in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John, Remember in Mark 6, he sends them out two by two and he sends them out in pairs. So in Acts 3, he begins to show you who the pairs are. Now, Peter and John were going to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame, look at this, a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order for him to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. Check out verse 3. When, when he saw Peter, Peter and John going about to go into the temple, he began asking them to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. 
And he began to give them his attention. Expecting to receive something from them, he wants to get some money. I'm a poor beggar. I beg for money here every day. Nothing's going to get changed. All the other guys come by this, you know, this temple at the same hour of prayer. And so I'm set up to get some money because I know that you Christian guys feel bad. And you Jewish guys feel bad. So you'll give me some alms. And I got my little problem going on. And watch what Peter says. Peter says, look at us. And he began to give him his attention. Expecting to receive something from them, he said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus the Nazarene, arise and walk. Why don't Peter and John have silver and gold? You ever ask that question? Jesus told them back in Matthew 10, when I send you out, do not take silver and gold for your journey. When I send you out, do not take silver and gold. In other words, don't think that money is going to solve men's problems. Don't think financial giving to everything is going to solve men's problems. What's going to solve men's real problem is the ability to speak up to somebody in the name of Jesus Christ. And Peter realized that God has given me another chance to feed his sheep, feed his lambs, and I'm walking with John, and we're going to fi fix this, this, real, this man's real problem. The man is lame, but at the exact same time, we're going to fix his real problem. We, we got something better than money. See, because everybody else can give you money and you can still have this exact same problem. Or I can give you Jesus and all your problems go away. He says, arise and walk. And all of a sudden, watch what happens. In Acts chapter 3, he says, and, he, and seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were straightened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people who saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one, underline this, who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. Who used to sit. What God has sent you and I out to do is be men who impact other people that are lame, that aren't walking because God has fueled us with the word of God in us to go out and do the work of God. And there ought to be some people who used to be porno por por uh, pornographic. Uh, uh, I used to be addicted to pornography. There ought to be some people who used to curse their wife out. There ought to be some people who used to drink alcohol. Why? Because God sent you out with power in the name of Jesus Christ to tell brothers that are lame in this world rise and walk. There are a lot of people out here that they're men that are around begging for help. They're screaming for help every single day. But the question is, are the right men coming by? You and I are the right men sent out in pairs by God to say, hey brother, we, don't have, we, we can't offer you that, 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 that little other stuff. We can't talk to you about your wife all day long and the problems that you're having with your wife. And yeah, man, you know, women are a trip and, you know, women for, you know, Mars and Venus. Forget all that nonsense. Brother, what we got for you is Jesus. We, we have an answer that can answer all those questions that you have, all those problems. We have have a real Jesus who has changed my life, a real Jesus who's given me a second chance, a real Jesus who said, hey, you go do this, and I'm going to tell you about my Jesus. And all of a sudden, here's a man who used to. A man who used to beg. A man whose life was characterized as I'm a lame beggar. I can't walk. I can't do anything for myself. I need you to help me. I'm asking for your assistance. And they said, no, no, we got some assistance for you. We got the name of Jesus Christ that we're going to give you. Now, when this man rises and walks and everybody sees it, notice that everybody takes note of it. When you do the work of God, 
everybody begins to notice that somebody's life has changed. When you do the real work of God as the men who have been empowered, and I'm telling you, like the 70, you've been empowered to do what God has called you to do. And when you tell a brother, rise and walk in the name of Jesus, and that brother gets up, their family sees it, their community sees it, their neighbor sees it, their job sees it. Everybody sees a changed man. And now watch what happens from the change of one man's life. Go with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 4, verse 4. In Acts chapter 4, verse 4, watch this. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Y'all, after this miracle of the healing this man, some people, some Pharisees, how did this man get well? He said, hey, it wasn't a miracle done by us. This man is walking in the name of Jesus Christ. And they say, hey, stop talking in that name. Hey, look here, let me tell you something about, about that name. There is no other name given among men by which men must be saved than the name Jesus Christ. So we, we can't stop talking about Jesus. Now watch, there were all these people standing by at the temple who were spectating and saw the miracle of the changed man. And you know what happened? After the miracle took place of the man being changed, 5,000 other men were getting saved. Did you catch that? Check out verse 4. But many of those who heard the message believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. There are now 5,000 men in the early church. Everybody knows the number of the 3,000 that got saved when Peter, got, when Peter preached the Pentecost. Everybody knows that number. But what people don't know in the early church, what was flooding the doors of the church were men. 5,000 men in the church who had heard that we've got a Savior by the name of Jesus Christ who hung bled and died in our place and was raised from the dead and men heard the message of a sacrificial man by the name of Jesus Christ who came and died and carried all of our sins away and men responded to the message. You know what men respond to? Men respond, men respond to power. Men respond to power and they saw God's great power being executed on the cross that day when Christ Jesus hung bled, died on on the cross was buried and then they saw his power in the resurrection. Now there's an interesting verse of scripture that Peter preaches from at Pentecost. When you and I think about the Psalms, you know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Some of us know Psalm 1, we know Psalm 27, Psalm 91, those famous Psalms. But you know what Psalm is really not famous to you and I? Psalm 16, 9 and 10. Psalm 16, 9 and 10, David says, hey, I don't have to worry about dying. I don't have to worry about, you know, being left in Sheol because my glory rejoices because you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. In other words, David, the psalmist, was predicting and prophesying the resurrection of Jesus Christ way before Jesus Christ had ever even come on the scene. Peter picks up Psalm 16, 9 and 10 and preaches that at Pentecost. And 3,000 people remember a psalm. See, you and I read the psalms like it's just a book. It's just like another chapter. The Jews read it as, they looked at the Psalms as this is our music. So when you start singing that song, and Peter began to preach from that song, 3,000 people get saved. Now you got 5,000 men saved. 5,000 men in the early church. Whenever Jesus Christ is being preached, men ought to be drawn. 
Now, now I'm talking about just males. Males ought to come around when they hear that a brother sacrificially died in my place. A brother took my beating, took my bruising. A brother gave his life over for me. And Peter and these guys see, this wasn't no weak Jesus. This was a Jesus who took the wrath of God on his soul. The Bible tells us that in 1 Peter chapter 2, that he bore our sins in his body on the cross. Listen to me very carefully. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. He didn't just get his back beaten. He didn't just get his face punched in. He bore our sins in his body. Make it plain, Blake. Let me make it plain. He took our herpes and syphilis and AIDS and our rape and it literally was going through his body. The sins of mankind and all the effects of sin were going through his body. He bore our sins in his body. His back just didn't get beaten. What was going on on the inside of Jesus? Every lie Every rapist, every terrorist, every murderer, everything that you see in the penitentiary, everything that us guys who should be in the penitentiary that just didn't get caught that are out here at conference right now. Everything that we ever did was in Jesus Christ's body. And when men understood that this man sacrificed his life for us, men responded. See, you don't have to wonder about, well, man, if, if I go tell a guy about Jesus, man, he might think I'm kind of weak. No, no, tell him the real story. Tell him what Jesus Christ died for. Tell him who Jesus Christ died for. Tell him what he did. And men flocked to the early church. 5,000 men were together. And you know what's interesting about this? 5,000 men are now in the early church. We're in Acts chapter 4 verse 4. But in Acts chapter 6 verse 1 through 7, they need seven men to come solve the problem of some, Hebrew, some, some Hellenistic Jewish women. These Hellenistic Jewish women don't have, uh, they're not getting their, their food served to them. Uh, and, and these widows are being overlooked. And they call on seven men among the 5,000. They call on Philip and Stephen and another, a number of other guys. They said these men have to be full of wisdom. They got to be full of the spirit. They got to be men full of faith. And he goes through a list of what these men must be. And what's your assignment, guys? Your assignment is simply this. Make sure that they have some oatmeal for breakfast. Make sure that they got a turkey sandwich at lunch. Make sure that they got a turkey dinner at night. They're Jews. They don't eat pig. So make sure they get some turkey. Now, that's their, these men's job. Seven men got called on. And they said, we need to get seven men. And they were able to recognize seven men by name among that big group of 5,000. If God calls on you, would the men of the church and the community of the church recognize you as one of the seven names that could be called on? Not that you're in the big crowd of 5,000, but are you one of the seven spirit-filled men ready to go for God? Are you one of the seven faithful men ready to go for God? Are you one of the seven men full of wisdom that's ready to go for God and ready to go serve? Now here's the amazing thing about it. Brothers, out of these seven men comes Stephen. Stephen preaches. A guy by the name of Saul, y'all know how it goes, is there at his stoning and his killing. And a guy by the name of Philip comes out. Philip comes out of it. And what is Philip's first job? Philip's just one of those guys that you don't even know he's in the text. He's just among that 3,000. He's just among that 5,000. Devoting himself to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That's all Philip is doing. He's a no-name. Then he gets called into assignment to serve the widows. And he goes from sitting under the apostles' teaching to serving widows. And the next thing you know, he's speaking. 
That's how it works. Do you see how God develops us? First, we're faithful to learning the Word of God. First, we're faithful to fellowship with our brothers. We're faithful to praying with our brothers, breaking bread with our brothers. And then God calls our name. Now, here's the thing about it, brothers. I remember when my coach was, was coaching, and, and it was so amazing. We, we were on the bench, and coach looked guys, and, no, 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 I need you. He looked past three guys, pointed to God, I need you in the game. Coach is saying, write this, and God is saying the same thing, I need you in the game. I need to be able to look down on the bench, call you and say, I need you in the game. And you get in the game because of what's been invested inside of you. You've already had so much poured in you through your Bible studies, through your community groups. It's now just time to get in the game. So watch what happens. Out of Philip becomes a servant. Out of Philip now becomes a preacher. He was just sitting. Now he's preaching. Now people are getting saved at his preaching. By the time you get to Acts chapter 21, it says Philip the Evangelist. He goes from a guy that was a no-name to a guy that's serving some widows some oatmeal and a turkey sandwich to a guy who's preaching a little revival to a guy who meets the Ethiopian eunuch who goes and carries the gospel down to Africa to a guy that's called an evangelist and he's raised four daughters that are virgin prophetess. Now I got a daughter so that's what she's going to be. <laughs> Amen. So, uh, but, but, but I want you to see the way this man developed. And here's why I'm telling you this. Brothers, right now you may just be sitting in the room. But God is showing you a pattern of how I develop men. I develop men that come and sit under my word, commit themselves to fellowship with brothers, commit themselves to prayer with brothers, commit themselves to breaking the bread with brothers. Then I call you and I give you an assignment to get in the game. Faithfully manage that assignment. Then I develop to you where you begin to speak. And some of us in the room, I never ever thought I was going to be a pastor. I don't have any pastors in my family. I don't have any preachers in my family. I never thought I was going to be a pastor. But I remember and I prayed last night when I was in college when Ashton Cumberbatch, the district attorney of Austin, who I was doing my internship for, Ashton Cumberbatch was also the pastor of Agape Fellowship in Austin. He was the attorney, he was the, he, he was the, 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 the district attorney, and he was a pastor of Agape Fellowship. And I was interning for him, and he saw that I was a kind of respectful guy, been raised in church, good church family. He said, Blake, he said, Will you come to my church? We're doing VBS this week. I want you to run the recreation games for all the kids. No one had ever invited me to, uh, you know, run no VBS and recreation game for the kids. I wouldn't even think about Jesus and how to set the games up. Like, okay, my dad's a basketball coach. I'll get some games for him and all that. And we did that. I didn't know that God was setting me up on assignment. I didn't know that that was God saying, Blake, will you just come to VBS as a college student and begin to run the recreation games? Never knowing he was setting me up to pastor a church. But I started out by sitting, listening, serving. Now he's called me to speak. God, brothers, is God, brothers, God is developing you. You don't know what God has designed you to become. God is moving in your life. He's going to develop you. He's going to expect a return. With all that God has invested in you, here's what you need to know is this right here. You already have so much inside of you that's already been given to you because you devoted yourself to the apostles' teaching. Let me explain it like this. There was a quarterback for the New England Patriots by the name of Drew Bledsoe. <clears throat> 
Drew Bledsoe was an All-American quarterback and then got drafted by the New England Patriots and Drew Bledsoe became an All-Pro quarterback and he was leading the New England Patriots all the way to the playoffs. They had already secured their position and Drew Bledsoe was running as quarterback to the sideline against the New England, I mean against the New York Jets. Now Drew Bledsoe, let me just put it like this, did not have Michael Vick speed and Bledsoe instead of sliding the way he was supposed to and get out of the way or jump out of bounds, tried to run out of bounds and the linebacker from the New, the New York Jets got so excited that Bledsoe did not decide to slide that he knocked Bledsoe from New England to Austin, Texas. <laughs> Bledsoe was done for the year. He was done. But sitting on the sideline was a little quarterback from the University of Michigan by the name of Tom Brady. And Tom Brady was sitting over there on the sideline telling Belichick, yeah, that's a good play to run. Bledsoe, yeah, that worked last time. And all of a sudden, God checked Tom Brady in the game. Tom Brady got checked into the ball game, and guess what? We never knew that Tom Brady was a Hall of Famer while he was just sitting on the sideline. But when God checked him in the game, now, I'm using the word God, but I'm, I'm getting related back, so don't get nervous in my, my, my illustration. <laughs> when God checks him in the game, you start to find out he leads them to one Super Bowl championship, two Super Bowl championships, three, loses two, comes back and gets a fourth. But there was a Hall of Famer sitting on the sideline holding a book. But it wasn't until he got checked in the game that he realized how much he had in him. What God is waiting for some of us to do is get checked in the ball game. Because he said, I got some Hall of Fame Christian brothers out here that you've been sitting on the bench far too long. And I'm getting ready to check you in the game. And just like Philip got checked in the game, how did Philip get checked in the game when Stephen got checked out? Just like, just like Brady came in when Bledsoe, Stephen gets checked out in Acts 7? Come on in, Philip. Acts chapter 8, you got to roll. And he begins to roll. Philip and Stephen, God is calling these guys to do work together. God always sends out men in connection. Now notice this. Here's the thing that I want to share with you. What do you think God has in store for you? You're excellent on your job. You're excellent at home. But what about the men that need to hear the word of God? What about the 5,000? In here gathered together may be a hundred or so men. But what about the 5,000? What about the 3,000? God starts a church with 120. 3,000 get saved. They're 3,120. Now it's 5,000 Acts chapter 4. How many other men are waiting to hear the gospel through you? See, when God sends you out to do a work, he always sends you out with another brother. I ought to start writing down right now who I'm going with and who I'm praying for. Any of you all know any men that don't know Jesus? Raise your hand if you know a man that doesn't know Jesus. So every single one of you knows a man in here. But guess what God did? God let you know him. And if God lets you know him the same way he let Peter and John know him, God is expecting you to walk by a lame man one day and be able to introduce Jesus Christ to him and that man get up and walk. And as a result of that one man getting up and walking, 5,000 other men begin to believe because of the change that's taking place. So why wouldn't I be a man in community? Why wouldn't I be a man that would enjoy community? I fish with guys. I golf with guys. I go hunting with guys. But now do I do Christianity with guys? We go and catch some physical fish, but we don't go catch spiritual fish that were dead. See, here's what you and I do when we fish. We go catch fish that are alive and they die. 
But he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. We go catch dead men and make them live. <laughs> see, that's the assignment. Do you, do you see the miracle that God wants to work through you? You and I go coach. We, we go catch dead men and dead men live. Or you can waste your time on these physical things where you're making stuff that alive die. One of the greatest testimonies about your life, that people see this guy who gets lame, jumps up, and from that, Peter and them preach a message. And you think that the story is about the one guy that's lame in Acts chapter 3, 1 through 10. Oh, he jumped up, he, he can walk now. But after he got up and walked, 5,000 men witnessed and 5,000 men got saved. See, when you share the gospel with a brother and a brother gets saved, you don't know if his whole family's salvation is coming behind it. You don't know if a whole generation. Brother, there's too much for us not to invest in this thing. And he always sends us out two by two. Who's your brother that you're running with? Two are better than one, for they have a good return on their labor. Let's pray. Amen. Father God, Lord, we pray right now in the name of Jesus. God, that you would reap a harvest of souls in men, God. Lord, that we may not recognize the work that we're doing when we're sharing with just one man. This one man, under the collaboration and connection between Peter and John, as they proclaim Jesus Christ to him, the real solution to his problem, not financial, God, but spiritual. That man got up and walked. And from there, they said that this has happened by the power of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And from that miracle of a changed man, the man, the God-man was preached. And as a result, 5,000 other men responded by belief. And so, God, I ask that you would allow us to reap a harvest of souls as we literally begin to look at people in our lives that are lame, wounded, sitting there begging for our help. But we've got to offer them the right thing, the right one, and that one is Jesus Christ. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen and thank God. Amen.